welcome to episode 396 of Awards Daily's Water Cooler Podcast. I'm your host, Clarence Moy, and I'm joined by the other two M's. So M's, let's go around the cooler and tell the listeners who you are and where they can find you on the internet. Joey, we'll start with you this week. Hi, I'm Joey Moser. You can find me on Twitter at JoeyMoser83. Megan? Hi, I'm Megan McLaughlin. You can find me on Twitter at HeyDudeMeg. And again, I'm Clarence Moy. You can find me on Twitter at ClarenceMoy, although I know a lot of people have been leaving Twitter. I'm I'm not going to leave, but I'm also not going to pay any money for a check. <laughs> and I don't. Mean I will. I have no problem a, doing that. <laughs> a written check. Well, I mean, depends on how much. I would assume. Right? Are you going to pay twenty yeah. bucks a month? I might. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Yeah. I've already taken a screenshot of my profile, so if I decide not to do it, <laughs> I did have like six people that would like. Like, enjoy your check mark while it lasts. You just got it. And I'm like, God damn I also guys. wonder if they're just blowing smoke. Like, I wonder if it's just like, there have been a lot of things they've discussed doing on Twitter that they've never done. You know, I mean, how long did it take them to, to have the edit button? Um, okay. And it's not even for everybody, I think, right? Isn't it just for right. like it's, certain it's, users? Like, right. So I well, don't know. He, he also, like, um, you know, one of the days after the, you know, the Paul Pelosi attack, Hillary Clinton tweeted something out and he was the first. That was, awful. That was vile. Um, he tweeted something about like, well, I don't know. We should look at all the facts and, you know, we'll link to some like fake news article. And he deleted the tweet. So it's just like, all right, <laughs> not standing by your convictions. Okay. I think your convictions are horrible, but at least stand by them. Yeah. You're going to be that loud and obnoxious about it. At least stand by them. I feel like the slightly more intelligent libertarian version of Donald Trump has bought Twitter and now runs it. <laughs> but um, Yeah, I think he's also just really bad at jokes, like that let it yeah. sink in thing. And I was like, okay, that's... Oh, that was cut. awful. Like, I didn't know who let cut. it sink in. What's that? He walked in with a sink and said, I just bought Twitter. It's like, it's my first day on Twitter. Let it sink in. Oh, I did not realize. Oh my God. And he's like all proud carrying it around. Whatever. Oh, I see the picture now. Okay. I I get it. Huh? (laughs) Yeah. He's like, let's do some literal humor. You know, it's, there's a little bit, I don't know. It's just going to continue to drive divisiveness on Twitter. It's going to, you know, there are going to be people who support him. There are going to be people who, who welcome his take and his, free thinking. I use that in quotes and they're going to be, and those who don't are just going to be, I don't know. It's just going to continue to, to further divide people on Twitter until they just leave the platform, which may be his ultimate goal in the first place. So who knows? But also the only thing about it was like, I don't think a lot of people care about it that much. Like the, and the thing is the people that, uh, the people that follow a certain person, who is no longer on Twitter. They're not going to pay jack shit for anything. So it's like, bye. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. Um, so this week we are, we've done a lot of traveling. Well, you guys have done a lot of traveling. I have done a lot of sedentary activity. <laughs> um, but uh, Megan's back from the Savannah Film Festival. Joey's back from a, a personal trip to Boston where he saw a lot of uh, um, major fall films or a handful of major fall films. I've seen a couple of things recently, and we've all seen HBO's uh, The White Lotus, the, the season premiere of season two of the anthology series, what I'm going to call the anthology series. We can talk about that when we get to it. So we're just going to be kind of free-forming around all of those topics. Um, Next on Freeform. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry, I, I don't watch Freeform anymore because it has Hocus Pocus on 24 hours a day. <laughs> Which, by the way, did you see the news that uh, Hocus Pocus 2 was like an enormous streaming hit for Disney Plus? I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised either. It was like 1.2 hour, a billion hours streamed or something like that. It was, it was an insane number. Oh, and then God. it led to this enormous article, usually the Variety or Deadline, I don't remember which, but it was like, why is this a big deal? And it went into this whole thing about how Disney cross-markets its products and there's Hocus Pocus material, merchandise, and cereals. I'm like, have you just figured out Disney? <laughs> like, <laughs> right. I was at um I was at Target like a couple months ago before the movie came out and there was um because I am one of those pathetic hocus pocus lovers I love hocus pocus um there was hocus pocus cereal and I bought it have I eaten it no so someone got my 4.99 so it worked are, are you just going to leave it in the box unopened as a collector's item uh no I should probably just throw it away but uh, no you should keep it I should keep it. Can I just sell it on eBay? <laughs> Wait till Bette Midler dies and then sell it on eBay. Oh, oh my God. That's terrible. <laughs> I'll die before she dies. <laughs> um, so let's start with Megan. Let's start with you at the Savannah Film Festival. Now, I've been reading your uh, festival diaries. I think you published five or six of them. And uh, they were all very good, and I got a good uh, sense of what you've seen and what you thought. But why don't you tell our listeners, uh, and Joey, in case he hasn't done his homework, um, what about not. the Savannah Film Festival? Um, yeah, it was great. I love going to this festival. It's the third year that I've done it, and um, I got to uh, see some things that were coming, kind of coming out that week. So like The Good Nurse, which now everybody's watching on, on Netflix. I really liked it. I know there were some mixed responses at the, I'd say after the screening and even like seeing it online, but it's either you love it or hate it. I feel like but I really, I really loved it. And I think Eddie Redmayne is so great. And it was great to chat with him on the red carpet. And, um, I also got to see, um, glass onion, the menu till, um, I saw some great documentaries like Goodnight Oppie and, um, the return of Tanya Tucker um, with, with Brandy Carlisle. I love that that's part of the title, like with Brandy Carlisle. Um, yeah, I, I, it was, I also saw a really cool, um, documentary called Butterfly in the Sky that is about, um, reading Rainbow. Um, and it was really, it was really great to, it was one of those ones, it kind of reminded me of the one that I watched about like the Muppets, I think, or like Sesame Street, um, at Sundance either last year or a couple of years ago, but this one's really good um, and talks about the impact of reading rainbow. And I really enjoyed that one. Oh, wow. um, what else? Yeah, it was great. It was great to talk to people. And um, there's just such a great vibe at that festival that um, it's, you know, it's got a, it's not huge like TIFF. It's, um, you know, kind of a, they call Savannah small Vanna. Like some people have said that because um, everybody kind of knows each other and, um, and now I kind of know a lot of people there too, which is funny, but, um, it was, yeah, it was so much fun. I really enjoyed, I enjoyed almost like, I would say almost every movie. I saw. There was one that I, um, didn't particularly like, but, um, like even bones and all was fun. Um, and, uh, Taurus, the Coulson Baker film was like, I think destined to be a cult classic, but, um, yeah, it was, it was great to be there. 
So um, I did read your piece on Bones and All, and I would agree that it probably does matter the audience that you see it with because you saw it with a bunch of SCAD students, I think, or, or yeah. a younger audience who were who was in the mood for it, who was there for it, who was you know laughing at things and kind of feeling its its sort of different vibe. I saw it with a a Telluride batch of older individuals. And uh, they were not feeling the vibe. In fact, I was quite worried that many of them would get up and walk out or throw up. Um, oh, wow. So, yeah, it was deadly quiet the whole time. It was – it. Uh, so I think uh, it would have been – It's particularly Mark Rylance's performance. I think you <laughs> need to be in the right kind of audience to take him. Um, yes. Because in the quiet audience in which I sat, I thought he was nails on the chalkboard gratingly bad – but I know that a lot of other people have loved him. So I think it really must depend on the circumstances in which you see the poem. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's like, he, he's somebody who I'm always have to remember. Oh my God. He was like, he was in Dunkirk, you know, he was in Bridge of Spies. Like, and then he does these quirky things like, like don't look up, which I thought he was the best thing about don't look up. I loved him in that. I think I'm in the minority there, but um but also, this is such a weird character. He, he just seems to, um, he can do a lot of different things. And this one is so creepy. And But fun. Everybody was having a great time. Everybody was, you know, catcalling Timothy Chalamet and whistling from the audience. And uh, it was, it was, they made it fun. I don't know how I would have reacted, like, to it being at Telluride. I probably would have been, I mean, I, I don't, do I think it's, like, Oscar-worthy? No. Like, but uh, maybe Mark Rylance as best supporting actor could sneak in. But I just thought it was it was just a fun film to watch with a group. And maybe it'll be like a Halloween type of film, too, given its its content. Uh, what was your favorite film? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I'm trying to think what I really liked. Um, I really liked Last Flight Home that documentary that, um, about Bondi Timoner, who is, she's a documentarian and, and her father is dying and she's, she didn't plan on releasing the film, but it was, she just put together, like she wanted to record her father's last moments. So she was recording all of this. And then when she went to put together a memorial video with it, uh, she discovered she had something more there and it's just such a beautiful film. Um, really powerful. That was one of my favorites. I, I really liked everything. Um, I'm trying to think of what else that I saw. Oh, Empire of Light. I loved Empire of Light. Oh, yeah. I feel like a Wars Daily's team, Empire of Light. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm so surprised by the reactions to it. Um, I think the cinematography is great. Of course, it's Roger mm-hmm. Deakins. Um, the music is really like sets the tone too. And Olivia Coleman is just fantastic. I, I feel like she and Viola Davis are two actresses that I'm constantly surprised and amazed by. And um, this is another great role. And I hope she gets in for um, best actress. I think she's fantastic in it. I would agree. So what's your least favorite film? <laughs> uh, my least favorite was the whale. <laughs> And, um, and I love Darren Aronofsky. 
Um, I love Black Swan. I love The Wrestler. And like Joey and I went to see Mother together. And I think we quickly were like, this is weird. We don't like it. And then like within 15 minutes, both decided it might have been the most genius film we'd ever seen. Like, I, do you remember that, Joey? <laughs> yeah, because we we walked out and I remember we were both like, we're like, this is, that was fucking stupid. And we had we decided to walk there. And it was like a 15, 20 minute walk back to my original apartment in Rochester. Um, and by the time I remember we were like waiting for the elevator and we were like, but I liked this. And then I liked this. Wait, dude, we liked the movie. <laughs> Yeah, it's it was just there was a lot to digest there, I felt like. And with the whale, it's very I think it's one dimensional. And um I mean I love seeing Brendan Fraser get all these accolades. He deserves it. He's a I think he's a really good actor. I, I kind of think um he's I would like to see him with a a role that was a little more developed. I feel like I don't know anything about his character. Um, I think Hong Chao is probably the, my favorite thing about the film. Uh, the cinematography, though, is really interesting because it's real grimy. Like, they really kind of... Joey had told me that this was an ugly movie, and he meant that in a sense of, like, the way it looked and maybe even just the way some of the characters talk to each other in it. But it, it is, like, very... It, it, the cinematography really sells the ugliness of it and um, the, the, the depression, the sadness of it. But... I I just didn't quite I wasn't really moved by it. I um and I was really looking forward to it. I couldn't wait to see this one. Um, you know, I, I heard mixed things about it, but I wanted to have an open mind, but it just wasn't one of my favorites um of any of the years, but it was my least favorite of the festival. But um yeah, that's how I felt I, about it. I made a point <clears throat> and I'm not saying that I said this to uh to Megan and I want to know I, I say this is a movie and this is no disrespect to people that love the movie I think this is a movie <laughs> where a lot of straight male audiences realize that the lead character is a straight male that recognizes that they have feelings that's like a genre of movie um, and I think a lot of film critics and bloggers like go over the moon for performances that it's about a straight male character who has feelings and can bear themselves it, just simply for being a guy who can do that and i constantly think i was like if this was a movie about a woman who was overweight nobody would care right maybe not i, I would say nobody yeah. would care i'm gonna say the same people would not be would not be like blowing their load all over it do, do you mean a straight male actor because the character is gay oh i mean that's what i mean a straight male actor yeah okay all right um, I had a lot of problems with his. I feel like we just didn't know anything about his character, and I, you know, other than him being sad and eating him, eating like himself to death. Um, it's just I just didn't know anything about him, and I would have liked to have learned more about what he was like. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the uh, I think Brendan Fraser is good. I don't, I don't. I'm just not sure that there's a lot of material there for him to be great until he gets to the end. And he's, he's, he's better um, as it gets to the end. He's actually very good. I think I just don't, I don't see his performance as one of those performances that should, you know, win every critics sweep. award, win every yeah. Yeah, sweep. Exactly. It, it's, it's not that kind of performance. I know a lot of people have, and I think a lot of people are internalizing. It's not even straight critics. 
um, Joey, because I know a, a couple of people that I saw it with when uh, when I saw it in uh, Middleburg, um, there were some gay critics who were internalizing a lot of that narrative and putting, I, I suspect, I did not have deep discussions with them, but they were having uh-huh. strongly emotional reactions to it. And I feel like they were internalizing a lot of, or not internalizing, they were, they were transplanting a lot of their own personal emotions and, and filling in the blanks for the character with mm-hmm. their own lives, sort of seeing mm-hmm. themselves up there on screen. I'm not saying, you know, people were 600 pounds or anything like that, but the struggles, the, the, uh, the pain with coming out and all that stuff. I think, um, I think a lot of people are, are putting their own experiences in that character to fill in mentally, you know, unconsciously, subconsciously, not unconsciously, subconsciously filling in the blanks that Megan, you very rightly say are missing from the film. Yeah. I think that, I think, I also think if it were written a little bit differently, like this could work. Like I even feel like, like Sadie Sink's character could, if written a little bit differently or maybe even performed differently could, could sell, could help sell more of that, like maybe emotion, but mm-hmm. I'm, I don't know. I was going to say something else and I can't remember now. Oh, what was I going to say? Oh, oh, well continue. So uh, anything else you wanted to leave us with from the Savannah film festival? Sorry, I should say SCAD Savannah film festival. I should slap um, myself on the wrist. Uh, I'm trying to think of, there's so many, I, I really didn't like, other than the whale, I enjoyed everything I saw. Like I, I'm always really impressed by the quality of the films. Like devotion was another one that's coming out that, um, that I think, I think it could be a hit. Like it's, it's got the chemistry between, um, Jonathan majors and Glenn Powell is really good. And I just think that, um, they're, they're really good together. And, um, yeah, I it just it was it was really like so cool to just see all these amazing movies. Oh, I know what I wanted to say. I think actually, I know Eddie Redmayne is going supporting, I believe, but I actually am more impressed with his performance than I was with Brendan Fraser's. Nice. Uh, I, uh, I that's out on Netflix now. I haven't caught it yet, but I'm anxious to. Yeah, let, let me know what you think. That this is my opinion. I don't know. I'm probably going to get, you know hate mail and you know called <laughs> terrible things for saying this i still like brendan fraser i'm still rooting for him but i just was i was just blown away by eddie redmayne joey you were going to say something i don't remember no okay um i saw the trailer for finally for devotion it does look good the audience that i saw till with on sunday was really into that trailer. So um, I hope it does something over the Thanksgiving weekend as a bit of counter-programming. If I want to talk get... to you about Till, too, whenever you get a chance. I don't know. We'll wait till Joey talks about it, or sees it, so we can all talk about it, too. Sure. Um, yeah, I don't know that I had many different uh, opinions than you did. We'll just put it that okay. way. Okay. Um, but we'll save that one for uh, when Joey has a chance to catch up to it. So, Joey, uh, I know you saw a handful of films and did some things in Boston. You want to talk about your weekend? Sure. I mean, I saw one movie. Um, oh, I thought you saw was, more than that. I was trying to, but my um, <clears throat> the problem with me is I never... Um, I Anytime that I plan to do anything, it's sort of as soon as I get there, I'm too like frazzled and distracted and I can't 
um, do anything. No, so I saw one movie. I saw uh, After Sun, Charlotte Wells uh, After Sun, which was nominated for a bunch of Gotham's this last week. Um, I was actually going to tell you, Megan, that I think that you would um, really enjoy that. It's a father-daughter movie, essentially. Um, it's about um, an 11-year-old girl who uh, is vacationing with her dad um, on like a uh, on a beach of sorts or a holiday, um, and her parents are divorced, and it's it's she's I think 11 or maybe 12, so it's all about her at this really sort of precious and impressionable time where she's like looking at older kids and she's falling out of that time where like like I think there's a scene where you know he wants to put sunscreen on her because they're laying on the beach and she's like you know self-conscious and stuff like that so it's sort of like at the the point of when you are looking at people that are that uh, that associate with you like older kids like 14 maybe 15 year olds will associate with you but if it you know, comes to an embarrassing thing, like maybe kissing a boy for the first time, that's something you sort of have to experience for yourself. Um, and you can't really learn that. You sort of have to do it yourself. And it's sort of this really tender, sweet movie that I feel like I was kind of resistant to because, um, hey, I think everyone, I, I think Paul Maskell is very attractive. Um, good for you. He's a, he's a, <laughs> a good-looking white dude with nice thighs. There it is. Um, and he's... I was actually sort of resistant to it because so many people were... You know that meme or that that famous gif of, like, the little girl at the baseball game and she's, like, eating all the cotton candy and she's, like, blue cotton candy all over her face and she's like, ah! That's what everyone's reaction to this movie is. And I was like, I, I feel like I was sort of trying to not buy into that. Um, because I wanted to keep a little bit of perspective, but I feel like at the end, I think the ending got me. Um, Can I ask a question? Sure. Is he supposed? Did he have her as like a teenager? I'm sorry, what? Like, as it is he? Was he a teenage father? I think so because I mean he's not playing like older than his age because he's so. like 26. So that threw me off. And every time I'd see the previews, I was very or like hear about. I actually have never seen a preview. But every time I'd hear about it, I was like, I'm very confused. As to, is he actually the father? <laughs> yeah. That's all um, Yeah, and I think it actually could um, be a little bit fuzzy on the details if it's, like, just one summer or if it's more than one summer. Um, just, I would need to see it again with the way that it's edited. Um, but I don't know. I, I just thought it was a very uh, sweet... Um, there's, like, a... There's a, a sad undercurrent of like sort of, you know, not telling your parents like what you really, you know, thought about them or appreciated about them at the time. And like they have a really strong connection and, you know, they they say really nice things to each other. So it's not a tumultuous relationship whatsoever. It's just sort of like a it's 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 like a movie. It sounds so cheesy, but like a movie that sort of captures that part where you sort of like let your parents go a little bit. I'll definitely um, have to check it out. I, it sounds like something I would want to watch. Yeah, and it's really, it's interestingly shot, and I don't know. I think it takes place in the early, like, 2000s, so. so well, yeah. hopefully it doesn't take the place of uh, a, the father-daughter classic Hellraiser in your heart, Megan. <laughs> of course, true. yes. I'll <laughs> laugh if I watch it. I'm just like, eh. 
And then I'm like, Hellraiser, I've got to call my father. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I think that um, on a certain level, I know a lot of people are saying that like best actor is really fluid. Um, and there was that one spot, as everyone is saying online, like I could probably see this, maybe pulling like a Ryan Gosling and a half Nelson if it starts winning a bunch of critic staff. I don't think it will because you have Brendan Fraser there. But yeah, and I would actually say like you could endorse somebody else. I've had this conversation with Megan before. I think it should be Jeremy Poe from the in- from the inspection. That's a whole other conversation. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's a good movie. I I don't know when it's coming out. The thing was I was supposed to go see Banshees of Inisherin and uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. All Quiet on the Western Front left before I got there because theaters are stupid and won't show Netflix movies more than a week. And um, Banshees of Inisherin, I am an idiot and messed up my schedule. And the next time I could go see it, I was busy because I was doing like, uh, it was a conference for my, for Jason's stuff. So I was like going to all these like dinners and receptions and stuff where I would just like stand around and be like, everyone's a doctor. And Stupid doctors. Here, just, what? <laughs> Stupid doctors. Stupid doctors. The brains. Um, so I did that. And then um, I walked around Boston a little bit. I saw, I saw like a really nice park and I walked around, um, you know, like some historic places um, and then yesterday, the day before Halloween, we got on a ferry and we went to Salem, Massachusetts, because I'd never been. And we thought, um, how fun would it be to go to Salem, Massachusetts the day before Halloween? I'm sure it won't be that busy because it's a Sunday. Dear God, were we <laughs> wrong? Uh, um, and we did some like, you know, uh, we visited like the there's like a gravesite or the memorial for the 19 people that were hanged during the Salem Witch Trials, there's like benches with like, it's engraved their names and people were putting not just flowers, but also Pokemon cards. And um, and then we went to like a fun uh, witch's dungeon thing. Or it was like a recreation of like the conditions of the people that were accused of witchcraft. Oh, wow. Uh, so it was, it was a little bit, uh, there was like a courtroom scene that I was like, I was like, oh, we get like a little bit of like a scene and people walked out in masks and I was like, and I'm taken out of it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was fun. I think I did anything else major, but yeah. Did you see any uh, Sanderson sisters? I only saw one trio and I was very surprised. Um, and I did not, I'm sort of proud of myself. I did not buy anything that had like, you know, I'm a sucker for touristy shit. So, um, like I didn't buy like a Hocus Pocus sweatshirt. I bought like a, a Salem like hoodie, um, and I bought a uh, <laughs> so dumb. But I bought like a, a a decree that says I've been arrested for I've been accused of witchcraft and I have to be taken to the witch's dungeon. <laughs> it was two dollars. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Awesome. Well, uh, as I mentioned, uh, I didn't do very much this weekend. I. Um, I, I watched uh, Insidious with my daughter. Oh. Um, and uh, we had a good time watching that. She was scared out of her mind. Um, <laughs> and uh, what else? Do we, oh, I saw Till, uh, which we'll talk about later. And I saw Ticket to Paradise with uh, Julie Roberts oh, and George Clooney, um, which I liked oh, what I saw of it. Um, it looked cute. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not a perfect film by any stretch of the imagination, but it's, uh, I mean, it, it, Bali is just gorgeous. So, you know, <laughs> um, 
Yeah, but uh, maybe a Globe nomination for one or both of them, depending on how wacky the Globes feel this year. But That's like another example of something that annoys me with people on Twitter that I tweeted about this, but it was also just like, like when the people are giving their reactions and, 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 you know, it's, it's like that thing where people on t- film Twitter just assume that we only talk about Oscars and awards. Right. And like, we you can't just be like, I guess you'll like it. I mean, if you're into that sort of thing, yeah, I am. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I know you can't enjoy movies just for movie's sake. They have to be, uh, they have to be enjoyed. And, and they, yeah. They have and to everyone has to be nominated for an Oscar because the performances are so great. Everyone. Exactly. So, um, that has been the weekend. What uh, did I miss something that we were going to cover other than the White Lotus? No, I don't think so. Okay, so uh, let's revisit Mike White and HBO's The White Lotus, which moves from Maui to Sicily in its newest anthology season, carrying over only Jennifer Coolidge as um, Tanya McQuad, now known as Tanya McQuad Hunt. Uh, She is married. And uh, she is uh, vacationing in Sicily at the White Lotus Resort there with a host of other couples, actors, whatever you want to call them, uh, including F. Murray Abraham, Megan Fay, um, Tom Hollander, Michael Imperioli, Aubrey Plaza, Theo James, Haley, and Haley Lou Richardson, who plays Portia, her personal assistant. Um, I'm going to go into what I think of it at least the first episode very quickly, and then I'll open up the floor to you guys. I was a huge fan of the first season. As you both know, it was my, I think it was my favorite show of that year when it aired. Um, Nearly everything that I liked about the white Lotus Maui is completely absent from the white Lotus Sicily. Um, I loved the intricate characters. I loved the dialogue, the mo- the uh, kind of vaguely cutting yet deep sort of meaningful uh, monologues that these characters have. None of that seems to be there in Sicily. I was hugely disappointed when I watched the first two episodes. Um, was sort of crushed, actually, in a state of depression. Oh, my God. Yeah, because I-, I just love the first one so much. Like, I, I-, I know you didn't care for it, Megan. I personally think it's one of the, you know, it's just my thing, right? I mean, it's just, yeah. it's totally my vibe. The characters, the actors loved them. Just, I've seen it four times. And maybe that's my problem. Maybe I've seen it way too many times and there's just nothing that for me that can compare. But I really, you, you kind of have to take all those, all that satire out of it um, and sort of just say, okay, this is actors doing a, thing in Italy and there's a framing device where there's not one but two dead bodies and um yeah and I think what what really just stings for me is that it doesn't have Murray Bartlett or a character that is the equivalent of the Murray Bartlett hotel manager the hotel manager in White Lotus Sicily is kind of a harpy (laughs) not a very pleasant person um yeah and so it just there's there's nothing that kind of brings them all together, the same way that he served in uh, that Murray Bartlett served that position in the White Lotus uh, Maui. So um, I will say I've seen five episodes. It does get better, 
Um, but I'm just kind of disappointed that the whole thing just seems to be focused on sex. That's, that's all about. That's all it's about is sex and different kinds of sex and sexuality and free sex and what people use sex for. And, and it, you know, it just, it, it, I don't know, it just seems like the, the themes, not necessarily the colonialism themes of the first one, but the family themes, the uh, just the, the midlife crises of that season, particularly with Connie Britton and, and uh, Steve Sons couple, um, just seem to resonate more with me than anything else. So, uh, you know, that's my take on it. Anyway, I'll let you guys go. What did you think? We have not talked about this at all, by the way. None of us. Yeah. Um, I'll jump in. I, I, I agree with what you're saying. Actually, I watching, you know, having watched the first season and watched the first episode of this, it felt like with the first season that they, all of the new, you know, guests coming in, even though they were all different and did not know each other, they all felt like they were a part of a, I don't want to say like the same show, I guess, like the same themes, like, you yeah, know, yeah. white privilege and money. And, you know, I, they all felt like they were from the same universe. Like, whereas with this, I feel like I'm watching like three or four different white lotuses stories. Like, like they're all very distinct from each other. And, um, and we haven't really yet seen too much of, of the, um, get like of these people interacting with each other like we did maybe in the first one. Uh, I also felt like when I was watching this, uh, first of all, I love the cinematography. I think the cinematography is great. Um, I, I think it's even, I loved it. I love it even more than the first season. I feel like it looks even more beautiful and you can tell they had some more money to play with in terms of like scenes and scenery. Um, but the thing that I kept thinking about was, was as I was watching it was this feels, this reminds me of Home Alone 2, where it's like <laughs> the same kind of plot, but like let's add some new characters in. Like, you know how when you see the bird woman in Home Alone 2, you're like, oh, well, that's the stand in for the old man. So I'm watching this and I'm like, oh, okay, so this is supposed to be this character. Um, and then I guess that that would make uh, Tanya Kevin McAllister in this because she's the, the same person who's uh, in it. Um, I also think that um, Aubrey Plaza is now getting roles that Parker Posey uh, would have had like 20 years ago. <laughs> like this is such a Parker Posey role to me. I don't know if anybody else felt that way. Um <laughs> But I think there's there's some int I'm interested the most the story I'm storyline I'm most interested in is hers just to see mm -hmm. like why Theo James like dropped trowel in front of her like what's his deal, um, but I can see I can totally see why you were disappointed because I felt <laughs> I feel like it's instead of trying to do something completely new it's trying to it's like really clinging to the White Lotus property when I don't know if I necessarily need that. I will say just before we jump to you, Joey else, I, I agree with you, Megan, that uh, the quartet with Theo James and Aubrey Plaza and then the actors, Megan Faye. And I, sorry, I forgot the name of the actor who plays. Uh, oh, wait, I was looking him Will up. Sharp, Hold on, I can Will Sharp up. plays Ethan. That's um, yeah. uh, Aubrey Plaza's um, husband. That is the most interesting one. Even, um, even Jennifer Coolidge, I feel is not a character. I felt like I really needed to revisit and, you will find as you go through the series, they take her to some dark places and it's not funny anymore. 
Uh, I'll just leave it at that. Um, I agree with the cinematography, and I think the the key to the cinematography here is uh, Maui. It's just an island. I mean, not just an island, but it's a, it's a flat island. Sicily gives you levels. They give you yeah. variances in the in the uh, in the landscape, and so I think that helps with the cinematography. You're able to look at at um, the resort from multiple perspectives, different angles. You can see things from high up, you know, high to low, and it just it, it gives it a lot more depth that way. Ironically, the um, yeah, there is no depth to the screenplay. Joey, what did you think? <laughs> Um, I actually had a good time with the episode. I think my expectations were very low. Very, 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 very low. Because... <laughs> because I texted you and told you it was the worst thing Mike White has ever done. Well, it was like, it was, I wish, like, I could have... <laughs> I'm sorry. ...relay um, how sort of uh, beautifully dramatic Clarence... <laughs> <laughs> Clarence's reveal of it was because it was just like, I've seen the white lotus. And I was like, and he's like, and it's the worst thing Mike White has ever done. I was like, oh no. Oh no. Um, um I agree while uh with these actors, I don't really care what um I and that is even going for a Theo James, as attractive as I think he is, um, I, I've never been, in, uh, this is going to be mean, I've never been impressed with him as an actor. Um, maybe that'll change, I don't know. Um, I took some notes, let me pull them up, I was all in there. While you're pulling up your notes, do you want me to read the conversation that we had about this? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it does start with, I just finished the first episode, and you said, good? And I said, do you really want me to tell you? I mean, I don't want spoilers, but I'm curious of your opinion. It's the worst thing Mike White has ever done. <laughs> Three <Wow>. grimace faces. <laughs> I'm honestly <laughs> devastated. It was so bad. The characters are so flat. There's literally no plot at all. It's not funny. I was so sad I couldn't sleep. <laughs> uh, goes, oh, that makes me oh, sad. No. Joey says, oh, that's so disappointing. It really is. <laughs> Do you think it's because HBO rushed it? I think he ran out of ideas. <laughs> I think it's because HBO rushed it. Well, so what I continue, I won't read the whole thing, but what I continued to say was that a lot of it, and I found this out through talking to a lot of the cast members, a lot of it is based on his personal experiences. When he was on vacation properties, he encountered people who said a lot of the things that he wrote about in The White Lotus. And he did have to write that within three weeks um, to prepare great. for a pre-pandemic uh, shoot in uh, Hawaii. So they said, we need a show. We have nothing on the, on the, um, uh, on the docket. We need something from you very quickly. So he wrote that in three weeks. He had a lot more time to prepare for this. And I, I don't, I think, and I know you want to get into your notes. Uh, just, I'll, I'll say one last thing. I think what happened here is that he wanted to stray away from anything remotely controversial because he got really dinged for talking about ethnicity in the white Lotus being a white man. Remember all of those conversations like, how can you talk yeah. about colonialism? How can you, you know, talk about race relations with only one black character? Um, and you're writing this whole thing. What, what, who are you white man to be talking about that? And I don't want to get into whether or not that was right, but um, I think it, he got so burnt. He was so burned from that experience. He refused to do press throughout the entire Emmy season. He didn't do anything else. And after the initial rollout, 
and he hasn't done anything for this. I think he's just stayed completely away from anything controversial. And I think that kind of that watered down Mike whiteness is really what we're looking at here in white Lotus. He's just focusing on sex because he thinks that's very, you know, a harmless subject. I My do thought. agree. I do agree that I think, um, sorry, I'm applying the COVID test, but I've been coughing. Um, I, I do agree that I thought that table conversation between the two couples was so interesting. Um, there was even a line that I loved between, um, I think it's Aubrey Plaza and her boyfriend and her husband, where she says something about being friends with him. And she says, we weren't friends, we were roommates. Um, and I think that was a really sort of honest line. Um, let's see, the notes that I wrote down, I wrote the line, it's a penis, not a sunset. Um, which I will say the F Murray Abraham stuff, I'm actually somewhat charmed by him and I feel bad that I'm charmed by him because I know, or maybe that's the point. Maybe he's supposed to be this like creepy old man. And I was like, you can't do that. You can't do that. But he's so charming and, and nice and sweet that whatever, um, love the Laura Dern voice cameo. Thought that was great. Oh, was that, that was her? her? That was her screaming on the phone to Michael Imperioli. I wondered, um, I thought I know this voice. I kept thinking. I, I wish I could see her like ripping open an elevator door while she was doing it but um <laughs> that was great um the Plug thing to enlightened yeah <laughs> um did anybody see the movie this is a tangent but anyone ever see the movie once upon a crime mm. okay it sounds it's an familiar. ensemble comedy from like 1992 it has like john larroquette and sean young and john candy and sybil shepherd and James Belushi. It's about a bunch of Americans that are in Italy um, and they get embroiled in a murder investigation because a little old lady goes missing and Sean Young has no money and she's wandering around Italy by herself. She finds the old lady's dog and she uh, gets accused of killing her. Um, I don't think you can watch it anywhere, but I used to watch the movie all the time and I kind of wish Mike White would do something like that. Um Fine, keep it in Italy. Make it about beautiful people. Make Theo James's prosthetic dong just wobble around all at once. But um, I, I do think that I don't think this season knows what it's doing yet. But I was, I feel like I was very entertained. Um, and the only thing that I don't like, and I can't believe I'm saying this, and this is sort of going along with what you were saying, I was like, I don't need to see this Jennifer Coolidge character anymore. If you wanted to do it, cast make it a different character you know how many like actresses in their 60s you could have put in, in that part um yeah. like uh, the first part first person i thought was like joan allen where's joan allen put joan allen in it i don't care what's she doing nothing <laughs> anyway, like i want mike white to do for women quote unquote of a certain age that ryan murphy still continues to do on a certain level um and I do think that like Aubrey Plaza and Mike White is sort of a match made in heaven. But now that you said that Parker Posey thing, now I can't unthink that. I don't think I've seen what they've never worked together. And I will, I will, yeah. I will, um, you know, rue the day until I see that. So, <laughs> yeah, I have to say, uh, Megan, you, um, to no fault of your own, you pretty much ruined Aubrey Plaza for me in this. Cause I was like, I'm so she had, sorry. no, 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 no. Don't apologize. She had sort of redeemed herself with me with this performance. Cause I think she's very good in it. Um, and then I have now reimagined all of the scenes with Parker Posey and it's infinitely better. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, my bad. But she does remind me of, like, 
I actually was like, oh, that's right. She can act. Like, I forgot about, like, yeah. you know, because she is a really good, I haven't seen some of the more dramatic things she's done, but I, I'm like, oh, this isn't, this isn't April from Parks and Rec we're watching. Like, I am a, I will admit that I am one of the, uh, the fans of Aubrey Plaza's dramatic work. I'm a big fan of that. Yeah, I know you are. She's um, supposed to be very good in Emily the Criminal. Yeah. So, I'm a big fan of her dramatic work. Like, give me some Black Bear. Give me some, um, God, what's that other movie? Inker Goes West. I guess that's more of a dark comedy. But um, she's really good in it. And um, I, I don't know. It is kind of weird to see her. Um, I don't know, because she's so known for comedy and dark comedy. I think that's why people are uh, people are so drawn to her. But every time I see Arby Plaza in anything, I want to be like, she would not be friends with like 90% of you. Yeah. <laughs> At all. Well, I, I do think their story and, and, you know, in the episodes that I've seen, their story remains the most compelling piece of it. I'm going to do a rewatch of it with my wife who did not watch the screeners with me. So um, uh, we'll see what happens when, when I kind of take that comparison to what I loved about the original out and, and come back to maybe it's just a really fun time with gorgeous people and gorgeous location. And, and maybe that's all it needs to be. Um, last thing I want to leave you guys with was, uh, or ask you is where do you stand each of you on the, I think I know where you stand, Joey, but where do you stand on the drama series versus, uh, limited series anthology series for this second season? It still feels like an anthology series to me. Joey. Um, I think it just needs to be a drama series because I'm a stickler. I'm only a stickler for rules about certain things. Um, like um, when I gave the woman on the plane today the most severe case of side eye because she was behind me and cut in front of me. And I was like, no, there's a line like, <laughs> and also we're not there yet. So bitch, sit down. Um, <laughs> Joey Moser hates women. <laughs> um, well, we knew. No, that. I think it's, I think if you are going to, I I'm very cut and dry. I feel like on the rules, I, th I think if you're going to have Jennifer Coolidge be in it, especially as the same character for more than one episode, I think it just needs, it needs to compete as a drama series. Although I, I wish it would just be an anthology. I understand what you're saying. I would I would only argue in that it it is the same character, but it feels completely different. Like it yeah. is a changed version of her character. She is not that wacky, devastated, you know, emotion. I mean, you know, I guess she still is emotional, but she's just a, she just feels like a totally different person to me. Even though it is the same actress and the same character, she feels like a completely different person. I agree. What is the um what have they clarified what the time jump is? No, they have not. I thought they said like the the girl the assistant had been with her for 3 years. So I assumed it was so probably around been, 3 years. Yeah, well that um there's a little bit about sort of what happens. Um I don't remember if it was in the pilot, but probably not if you guys don't remember it, but there's a little bit about what happens um, to her husband after White Lotus, um, and how she helped him. But, uh, I guess you can get to that when you see it. Okay. Well, we'll see. HBO has been very cagey about where this is going to go. I think it is competing in drama series at SAG, but, um, I have a hard time thinking their television Academy may force them as it did with American Horror Story and the Sinner and others into drama series. Um, 
because it has a recurring character. But uh, I think they're going to try to go for limited series because they're, they've got House of the Dragon, they've got Succession, potentially Westworld. Um, there's a lot to compete against in the drama series race. All right, let's uh, jump to the flash forward to the media we're most anticipated in the upcoming week. And uh, Megan, you can go first. Uh, well, I've been watching The Val season two, even though my sister told me to stop watching. She yelled at me. Um, so I have been, I've been enjoying it just because it's kind of like giving voice to the people who still or who are the quote unquote villains within the cult, like Nancy mm-hmm. Salzman. So um, I, I just find that find it interesting that they're kind of doing the other side of it. It's making me question whether the people who are are heroes in the first uh season like what bad deeds they did too it's kind of interesting um and then i would like to see tar at some point um i need to catch up on the challenge um and probably just relax this week because i've been ran around like a crazy person last week so oh i didn't know that there's a mini series or a documentary about phil specter i would like to see that Joey, what that? about you? Beyond that, um, I'm going to catch up on my horrible movie missing mistakes, the Banshees of Inisher, and it will be in my city uh, this weekend. And other than that, um, I mean, it's November 1st, starting tomorrow. Uh, Call Jane came out. I I was sort of like iffy on that, and then I listened to an interview with uh variety talking to Sigourney Weaver about it and about how it's a a uh a, a light film about a woman's life or a woman's right to choose and the fight for it. Um so there's that and Armageddon. I've seen it. Come... It's, oh, you it's have? really good. Yeah it's really good. Oh good. Um okay okay glad you like that makes me want to see it more. Um Armageddon time is coming here this weekend. I'm super excited about that especially because Clarence had such a strong reaction to it. Um, and then the other movie that uh, I don't think looks very good, but I'm excited to see it for everyone. Have you guys seen, I think Clarence has the trailer for The Estate with no. uh, Tony Collette, Anna Ferris, David Duchovny, Rosemary DeWitt, Ron Livingston, and Kathleen Turner <gasps> um, playing like a bunch of grandkids who are trying to get, like, I think they're trying to get back into the will of their grandma. Um, and Kathleen Turner is... The grandma, um, Tony Collette. It's mainly about Tony Collette and Anna Ferris, their sisters who are trying to win over their terminally ill, difficult to please aunt in hopes of becoming the beneficiaries of her wealthy estate, only to find that the greedy family has the exact same idea. So it's like probably not worth Kathleen Turner's time, but it's Kathleen Turner. So I will, I will go see her and anyway. So that's it. Is this uh, just in theaters or is it streaming? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I thought it was. I think I'll wait the uh, I'll wait the two weeks that it'll take to get it on streaming because nobody's going to go see this <laughs> except for me. Fair. Um, I think exactly. it's coming to Hulu. Um, excellent. Um, when does Don't Worry, Darling come to HBO Max? I think it's November seventh. Yeah. Okay. Um, that is, is it still this week? Because <laughs> I'm dying to see that. Uh, I have to actually look at a calendar. I'm an idiot. Uh, that's next week. All right. Well, I'll talk about that next week's podcast. Um, 
So this week I have screeners for Netflix's The Crown, which drops a week from Friday. I'm halfway through that season, um, and I'm uh, continuing to watch Welcome to Chippendales, which airs on Hulu closer to Thanksgiving. Um, I am supposedly getting a screener for Disenchanted this Ah. Friday. Ooh. We'll see. Uh, and bookwise, I am listening to the Stephen King audiobook Fairy Tale, which is um, even though it's a twenty-four hour audiobook, uh, it is a very good book. I am really into it, and uh, I am uh, reading, picking up a hard copy book and reading before I go to bed. Uh, Tracy Flick can't win, which I hope oh. they make into a movie starring Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> that would be awesome. It would be awesome. Um, I'm reading about three chapters before I go to sleep, but at least it's I'm I'm getting through it. It's a short book, so I should be able to finish it by Christmas. Um, so does that cover it? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Let's get the hell out of here. So we are the three M's contributors: Joey Moser, Megan McLaughlin, and me, Clarence Moy. Thanking you for joining us. Rem- asking you to remember to rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find us, and subscribe to our YouTube channel at Awards Daily. And wishing you. Oh, before I go, remember next week we're going to be revisiting our fantasy Oscar pool, and we're going to be making our new draft selections. Ooh. Uh, Get your picks in line, because I think it's going to be brutal. I have a list. (laughs) I do, too. All right. And uh, have a very pleasant tomorrow, and happy November.